listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. I just want to update you a little bit on the breaking news coming out of the east end of the city. Just an absolutely terrifying incident that we don't have a ton of details on, but we do know that a teenage boy has been stabbed, that the police is on scene. The injuries appear to be life-threatening. He's been taken to a trauma center. This happened at Strathcona and Pape. We have no suspect information at this time. That information coming from the Toronto Police, and we'll continue to keep you updated in the news and throughout this hour if we get any more details on that. Well, the Financial Accountability Office has released a report and dropped a big bomb on the education system and on this province. You may know that the Ford government is in the process of overhauling the education system, and there is plenty of consternation about what that means for teachers. Well, the Financial Accountability Office, essentially this is a office at Queen's Park. It's an independent thing. It's a, it's a, it's a watchdog, essentially. And what the Financial Accountability Office does is it takes the information that the government gives it and then actually does its own calculations of what the ramifications are. And the report today on the education system is now out. And here is the big headline. By the 2023-24 school year, there will be 10,000 fewer teachers. That's 994 elementary teachers and 9,000 secondary teachers fewer in the education system. Now, over the next five years, this is where the uh, FAO, the Financial Accountability Office, looks at the numbers here. Now, over the next five years, what the report found is that the Ministry of Education is going to slow its spending to 1% average annual growth. In other words, 1% more a year. In contrast, Education Corps costs are projected to accelerate at 2.7% average growth per year. So although the government can say, cut what cut, we are increasing spending, and clearly they are increasing spending by 1%, if you're actually having a cost increase of 2.7%, then you can see that there is a real-world cut. The Teacher Job Protection Fund should provide sufficient funding so that the ministry's new class size policy can be achieved without teacher layoffs, says the report. And that is absolutely fascinating. That last sentence from the page for page one of the report, which says essentially that Ford's contention and pledge that not a single teacher will lose their jobs is accurate. You ask yourself, well, wait a second, I thought I just heard a headline about 10,000 fewer teachers. Well, that is indeed the case. That is by attrition. What the FAO has found is that the money that the Ford government has put into the system, injected into the system, is going to help with the transition as class sizes increase, and therefore it does not appear that there needs to be layoffs to achieve the class targets that the Ford government has proposed. Now, that is not going to stop the outrage, obviously. Here is a statement from Stephen Del Duca. You may know that Mr. Del Duca is a former Liberal Ontario minister, minister of the transportation and a number of other files, and he is considered to be the front-runner to claim the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party when they decide 
There is also Mitzi Hunter is in that race as well. Doug Ford said that no teacher would lose their job, tweeted Stephen Del Duca today, saying the facts are in and Ford lied. He is going to rip 10,000 teachers out of classrooms in Ontario. I would suggest that Mr. Del Duca actually reads the report because that is not what it says. So, cue the outrage, all. All right, let's get to a bit of an election roundup, shall we? Things did not start off well today for our friend Andy, Mr. Shear, about to make a, an announcement in Quebec when there was a bit of a scuffle and a protester had to be hauled off. Thank you very much for being here this morning. Tout d'abord, j'aimerais saluer notre candidate dans Papineau, Sophie Veilleux. You can actually see that on my Twitter feed, A. Carter Global. I retweeted Mike LeCouture, who is our global national correspondent, who is on the campaign with Mr. Shear, who provides a video of exactly what happened there as that protester who was shouting shame and was concerned about climate initiatives and was quickly taken out by security. Now, here is Shear getting to his big announcement of the day. A new Conservative government will launch a judicial inquiry into Justin Trudeau's corruption scandal. At every turn, Trudeau has stopped the truth from coming out and prevented Canadians from getting the answers they deserve. He's shut down three parliamentary investigations into the scandal. He refused to cooperate with the Ethics Commissioner's investigation. And he's currently stonewalling the RCMP. It's a cover-up on an historic scale. The only way to get to the bottom of this scandal and get the answers Canadians deserve is to hold a judicial inquiry. Okay, so we're going to double down on the thing that most Canadians probably really don't care about. And I just don't, he's going to get play for that. Obviously, he'll maybe win the day if you're scoring day by day. But again, I don't think this is something that's going to move the electorate in any way whatsoever. And plus, it also has kind of a a weird connotation to it, an inquiry. Oh, great. Uh, Oh, can we get a white paper up in here? Oh, baby. Bring in all the lawyers and just let's pay them. Because if you win, my friend, I I think that that's right there. There's your inquiry. You won, Mr. Scheer. Mr. Trudeau is no longer prime minister. Case closed. Now, the Doug Ford factor that some federal conservatives have worried that it will hurt their chances in Ontario appears to be very real, according to Angus Reid. A new poll showing that half of Ontarians see their federal vote being swayed by the performance of Doug Ford's progressive conservatives, and most are not being influenced in a way that will benefit the federal Tories. Among those who were polled, 85 percent say the policies and actions of the provincial government will make them less likely to support Andrew Scheer's federal conservative party. Hey, anybody want to go for a canoe? Anybody? Did you see this? An incredible shot this morning from Justin Trudeau, who was in northern Ontario in Sudbury this morning, and he comes to the the, the podium, he sort of sidesteps the podium, and he's wearing a, a life jacket, and also some terrible sandals, like Tevas, or I don't know what they are, but they're not good. And he gets into a canoe, and then he proceeds to canoe around the lake for the benefit of all the photographers. 
And then he canoes up to the podium and gets out, and, and he says to himself, and he says to everybody, hey, it's not a jet ski. I'm not wearing a wetsuit. Also, he was not wearing that really cool fringed leather vet, uh, jacket that his father wore. You remember in the famous documentary. So the federal liberals now saying that one-fourth of Canada's land will be given over to protected status over the next six years if they are re-elected. Trudeau also promised to protect one-fourth of Canada's oceans by 2025. The liberals committed in their first mandate to protecting 17% of land and 10% of marine areas by 2020. And as of the end of 2018, Environment Canada says 11.2% of land and 7.9% of marine areas. So obviously, the previous promise has not been kept. Trudeau is also promising to expand the Learn to Camp program. That gives travel bursaries to lower-income families to spend up to four nights in one of Canada's national or provincial parks. All of it sounds great. Thanks. Good. Great. Mr. Trudeau, though, as I point out, has made some grand promises before. Namely, electoral reform. How about reigning in spending? Yeah, getting back to balance after juicing the economy. Remember, remember when you said that? Neither of those happened. Now, and a reporter asked Trudeau specifically why, in the light of that... Why should Canadians have faith he will keep these promises? We know that the choice Canadians made in 2015 was the right one. When faced with a choice between Conservatives proposing cuts and austerity as a way of creating growth, or our choice that was investing in communities and in the middle class, Canadians chose investment. And four years later, we have tremendous growth and results to show for it. And that's once again the choice that Canadians are facing. The Conservatives are proposing cuts and austerity. We are proposing investment. Let's just follow the logic there, shall we? Because the last time around, Trudeau said, well, listen, the economy's not doing well. It's, you know, people are, 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 it, people are suffering. We got to juice it. We got we to gotta fire it up. We got to put a lot of money into the system, and now, well, everything's going great. So, what should we do? Well, we should put some more money into the system. We should juice it a little bit more. Anybody paddling? Anybody in the canoe? Let's move to the NDP. Jagmeet Singh spending a third straight day in British Columbia, beginning in Campbell River. Plans to road trip south to Nanaimo. Singh was in British Columbia yesterday as well. As I mentioned, he was in the Lower Mainland in Surrey. And there are chances for the NDP to pick up in the Lower Mainland. Vancouver Island is going to be tougher for them against the Greens. Singh says that he has now spoken with Justin Trudeau about the history of wearing blackface, but that he will not be used to exonerate the Liberal leader. But if you do want to talk about Mr. Trudeau, there's really two different Mr. Trudeaus we're seeing. There's one in public that says a lot of nice things about diversity and multiculturalism and one in private who makes light of what people are living, are their lived experiences. That is Jagmeet Singh speaking yesterday in Surrey, British Columbia. Elizabeth May will speak in the afternoon about the role she sees Quebec playing in the Greens' vision of a Canada powered by renewable energy. And Maxime Bernier of the People's Party continues his own trip to the West, spreading his populist message in Calgary after spending yesterday in Vancouver. So that's a wrap-up. What's going on the federal election trail? 
A new study shows that Canadians are much more likely to overestimate the number of refugees the country admits every year. Asked to guess the correct number, 61% said they didn't know. 12% got the answer right. While far more overestimated the number than underestimated. Few people could give the correct number of immigrants, which is 330,000. Patrick Kane is a Global News journalist who has filed this story for GlobalNews.ca and joins me on the line. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm well. What's the implications of this study in terms of the misinformation that's out there? As you said, the people are far more likely to overestimate the number of refugees admitted to the country than, than actually than actually arrive. Um, and the, the problem is that if people see if they if they if they're if they're that misinformed, um, it leads to sort of a sense of immigration overwhelming the country. It leads to a narrative of of having an uncontrolled problem with, for example, border crossings in Quebec and Manitoba, rather than a rather than a sort of a manageable, significant but manageable problem, which we actually have, leads to a sense of it being out of control, which really is not. And where do we know or do we have a sense of where the source of this misinformation is coming from and how it's being amplified? I think it's more of a perception to the, the the issue. The issue has been the issue has been out there. So there's a lot of sort of Facebook-based misinformation in this election. A lot of it is focused on how focused on immigration, as we're aware. And so, what does that mean for as we look at parties like um, Maxime Bernier's People's Party and their anti-immigration stance? Well, the interesting thing is that they one of the things the, the people who ran the poll. Um, focused on is, is by party affiliation groups of Canadians, which aspect of immigration they thought was most important. And conservatives said they saw national security and terrorism as most important. Liberals saw they said they saw diversity and multiculturalism and the economy as most important. And actually PPC supporters said they saw diversity and multiculturalism as most important, which which was puzzling until they realized that actually that wasn't, didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily seen as a positive I see. So in terms of when we look at how people identify as supporters in various parties, then we see there's a real sliding scale as to whether or not immigration appears even in your top one, two, or three issues in this election. Yeah, so this is another thing, is that immigration is actually not a top-of-list election issue for most people. Um, if you ask people what election, what issues are most important in this election, they're most likely to cite health care. They talk about the cost of living. They talk about the economy. They talk about climate change as a big as a big. Uh, a big change in previous elections. The environment is much more important to voters in this election than it has been in previous elections. That's a big change. Patrick Kane is a Global News online journalist, and you can read his piece about the actual number of immigrants coming into this country on globalnews.ca. Thanks so much for being on the program, Patrick. Oh, thank you, Alan. So you mentioned, we mentioned the climate, and uh, Patrick talked about how Uh, There is a growing consensus in this country that climate change is a problem. But roughly half of Canadians and a large majority of those who say they will vote conservative, we won't spend a single penny to try and tackle this problem. Just 22% of respondents say they'd be willing to pay up to 100 bucks extra per year. And that drops down to 8% who say they would be willing to pay between 100 and 200 bucks a year. What do you think about this? Are you concerned about climate change? But more importantly, are you concerned enough to open up your wallet and to pay more? Daryl Bricker is CEO of Ipsos, 
and conducted this most recent uh, poll and joins me on the line. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Alan. How are you doing? I'm good. Did, were you surprised at all by the reluctance to pay? Yeah, somewhat, because uh, when we looked at uh, the uh, the most important issues facing people in the election, as, you're, as the, the last person on was saying, you know, climate change is right up there. I mean, it's the, the third most important issue in the election campaign. But people seem to be existentially concerned about it. But when it comes down to actually doing something about it, that's quite another question. And how does that, I mentioned in, in my preamble there that amongst conservatives or those identifying as conservatives, there's more of a reluctance to pay. How does that work out? Yeah, it does. So uh, the people who are more interested in maybe making a personal contribution by paying something tend to be people who are progressive voters, especially Green Party voters. But conservatives, for them, no, it's, you know, 10% have it as a, as a top issue. They're really not interested in, uh, in, uh, in tackling this in any meaningful way, particularly if it involves spending money through a carbon tax. And carbon tax, obviously, that is a big issue in this campaign. And we know that if Justin Trudeau is successful in being reelected, that the Ontario government says it will drop its challenge to a carbon tax. How motivating is a carbon tax both for and against the Liberals? Mostly against. So for uh, on a carbon tax, about half the population support it, half the population doesn't. Uh, you already heard how much they think it should be. It's not, not next to nothing in terms of the amount that they're prepared to pay. But 64% of the people we interviewed said that they believe that they're going to be paying more if there is a carbon tax. And if affordability is, is a bigger issue in the campaign than climate change, you see what the problem is. And you also see why Andrew Scheer is talking about it. What I find interesting is that you have on one side Elizabeth May essentially proposing an entire new slew of revenue measures, which is just taxes, really. She's just come right out and said, I'm going to tax this, I'm going to tax that, and I'm going to tax the other thing. Meanwhile, Andrew Scheer is pitching just right at middle of the road, sort of middle class Canadians with, you know, bringing back tax breaks for sports and all of that. Which do you think resonates more as a whole for the electorate? Well, we can already see it. I mean, Andrew Shear's at 35 or 36 percent in our polling, and uh, Elizabeth May is at 12. Uh, so three times better on the Andrews, on the Andrew Shear side, and that's because it's not just that people. Um, uh, are are feeling like their taxes are too high. They really do feel like they're falling behind. They really want somebody who's going to put money back in their pockets. So the the, the the competition is actually between the liberals and conservatives on that point. The, the conservatives going in the direction that you were just talking about, these targeted types of, of, of tax cuts, plus something for people who are at the lower end of the taxpaying scale. And then you've got the, uh, the liberals talking about uh, expanding their middle-class tax cut that they brought in in the first... Uh, first part of the year. So targeting versus a sort of a general tax cut uh, facing off, and we'll see what Canadians think is the best. What I find so interesting, and I know your recent polling has started to show a bit of daylight between the Conservatives and the Liberals in the wake of the blackface scandal, but it does still feel as if there is the lemming card at play here, that the deeper we get into this campaign, with it being so close and a big undecided that we could see a stampede in one direction or another, and there's very difficult to predict which way it'll go. Well, the biggest stampede, the potential in my mind, is actually a stampede to what I call the apathy party, 
where people just kind of throw up their hands and say, you know, I'm not really that into it this time. And we go back to a turnout level, which is very similar to the ones that we've had with the exception of 2015. 2015 turnout went up by about 8%. Uh, 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 the uh, the Conservatives under Stephen Harper got almost exactly the same number of votes that they got in 2011 and 2015. It's that the Trudeau team swamped the boat with their message of hope and change. And uh, the question you have to ask yourself is, is anybody doing that right now in this campaign? I'm certainly not seeing it. It's not showing up in the numbers. And I guess that's my point. There's no overarching thing. There's no no view of the economy or the country that people are saying, okay, that's something I can get behind. I will just quickly ask you uh, about vote splitting, especially on the progressive side, and what that means, what you're seeing, how that breaks down, and if that really will play to sheer. Yeah, it does play to share. So Canadian politics now, there's more progressive voters than there are conservative voters. And uh, the, the progressives win when they get behind one party, basically, like we saw in 2015. They lose when the both the NDP and the Liberals and potentially now the Green Party all, all do relatively better um, or, or, or are all sim- at similar types of levels. That's when the conservatives can come up the center and, uh, and, and steal a whole bunch of ridings because of vote splitting. It's just the way that our system works. The thing about the conservative vote that we see now, Alan, is that they're enthusiastic. They really want to show up on October 21st. On the other side of the agenda, the other three parties not as enthusiastic. What's interesting, though, is how uh, effective it will be getting out the vote in the key ridings, because some of the numbers I've seen have shown strong support for conservatives, you know, in the West, where they're already going to win. The importance is going to be having a dedicated vote to come out in the 905. Right. But you see a similar phenomena for the Liberals in Montreal and the city of Toronto. So in Ontario, for example, the Liberals look like they're doing better than they really are because they are so strong in in, uh, in downtown Toronto. So they kind of distort the numbers the same way that uh, Alberta distorts the national numbers. So the real question is what's going to happen in the 905. And that race is very, very close right now. And if it splits, like it looks like it's going to be splitting, we're going to probably be up all night long waiting to see the results from Victoria <laughs> to see who's actually got not a majority, but just a plurality of seats. Sure. All right. Daryl Bricker is CEO with Ipsos. I look forward to staying up all night. I'm looking forward to it already. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks, Alan. Welcome back to the program. I am so concerned about this vaping situation. California now joining a number of other states, urging people to cease vaping immediately, all forms of vaping, and sweeping changes at the vaping giant Jewel Labs have announced yesterday, including a new CEO, a complete haul to broadcast, print, digital advertising in the United States, an end to lobbying efforts against the ban of vaping flavors that has been proposed by the Trump administration. However, on this side of the border, it is business as usual. Jewel Labs Canada saying in an email that it's a global company and the announcement impacts the United States only. Jewel Labs Canada not answering questions about how Jewel markets its products in Canada will not cease any operations, will not promise to do anything. You have to ask yourself why. 
On the federal political scene, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau says the political instability in the United States and in Britain with Brexit serves as a warning to Canadian voters to avoid the pull of divisive populism that he accuses his conservative opponents of fostering. While he was campaigning in Sudbury just after he got out of the canoe, Trudeau linked the impeachment drama unfolding in the United States and the Brexit agony to the quote-unquote politics of fear that he claims Andrew Scheer is bringing to the federal election campaign. This is the choice that Canadians are facing. And seeing the consequences of the politics of division and fear elsewhere around the world should both make them proud to be Canadian, where we make different choices, and remind them of the importance of the choice we are making in this election. That's Justin Trudeau campaigning today asked about populism and trying to tie Andrew Scheer directly to Donald Trump. Meanwhile, south of the border, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says an intelligence community's whistleblower's complaint shows that Trump has indeed undermined national security and has tried to cover it up. Pelosi telling reporters that uh, Trump has pressured Ukraine to investigate Trump's political rival, And it shows that he, quote, betrayed his oath of office, our national security, and the integrity of the U.S. elections. She continued, it's a cover-up. The complaint says the White House tried to lock down the information after it was first alleged to have happened by the whistleblower. Trump, of course, has denied anything, doing anything wrong whatsoever. Jackson Prosco is Global National's Washington correspondent and joins me on the line. Always great to have you on, Jackson. Hello. Hey, AC. How are you today? I'm good. How much attention is being paid to all of this as it unfolds today? Well, let's just say if you're a soap opera fan, uh, you're a little unhappy today because all the major networks here in the U.S. have carried this wall-to-wall, this testimony today. Not just cable networks, but the major broadcast networks as well. It's all anybody's talking about. And what is actually happening today? Is is the story really moving forward? Yeah, so a few things have happened. First of all, we had testimony, a committee hearing involving the acting director of national intelligence, the man who originally received this whistleblower complaint and decided not to share it with members of Congress despite that being the law. So he faced a grilling about that today. But the second more important thing I think we've seen is the actual release of the whistleblower complaint. Uh, Most of it unredacted, so we get a clear sense of what made this person really so concerned about the president's activities. And what is contained in there, does that change anything that we've known previously? Yeah, I mean, it starts off with what you'd expect with the person writing, I've received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 election. That's all about that Ukraine phone call, which we had the transcript released of yesterday. Uh, I think what's new here is that the whistleblower goes on to say that senior White House officials intervened to, quote, lock down all records of the phone call, especially that official word-for-word transcript of the call that was produced. Uh, The whistleblower goes on to say, this set of actions underscored to me that White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in this call. Those White House officials say they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the transcripts from the official system and essentially put them in a secondary computer system that is used for sort of the most closely guarded national security secrets, not typically the type of things that you would see uh, that would involve uh, conversations with other world leaders. Speaking with Jackson Prosco from Washington, D.C., talking about what's happening south of the border. I haven't checked Twitter in a couple of minutes. Has the president been on Twitter? 
He is. He's tweeting about how basically nothing wrong, no big deal, nothing to see here, no no treason uh, in his words. I should point out the other sort of bombshell from the whistleblower complaint, Alan, is buried in the back. Uh, there was sort of a classified appendix in there that was released. And this person is talking about these phone calls with world leaders or the phone call of, with the Ukrainian president being extracted from sort of the normal channels and hidden away on a, a more secure computer system. And they say this was not the first time under this administration that a presidential transcript was placed into the system solely for the purpose of protecting politically sensitive rather than national security sensitive information. That is devastating to the Trump administration. This is going to play out through the rest of the day. Jackson Prosco from Global National, thank you so much for being on the line. My pleasure. Thank you. I regret any of my actions, quote, unquote. That is from Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews, addressing these allegations of what happened Earlier this year, on May 28th, in Arizona, in Scottsdale. And the woman who is pressing this charge against Austin Matthews says she might have had second thoughts had the alleged incident been taken more seriously initially. And there is now body cam video of this interview with the security guard. And again, this was recorded on the 28th of May. The incident, uh, and I must correct this, actually happened on the 26th, May 26th, at Matthews Condo Building in Scottsdale, Arizona. Here is the security guard explaining what happened. Do not approach a female 2 a.m. in the morning thinking it's funny to see how she would react to get in her car. There's three of you, there's one of me, Anything, you could have done anything to me, and I was at a disadvantage because of that. You do, there's nothing about trying to get into my car at two o'clock in the morning funny. Nothing. Obviously, nothing funny about it. And the security guard goes on to say in this interview that she told Matthews, Nobody wants to see you with your pants down. I jump out of my car and I, I, I turn and I looked and I said, can I help you? What are you doing trying to get into my car? So I didn't recognize them at first. I just saw red. And they were laughing. One was swinging on the branch because I was parked underneath the tree in the roundabout. And they, they came around and like, oh, we, you know, we thought it would be funny to see how you react if we got in your car in the back seat. Well, I don't think anybody's laughing about it now. And then here in our final clip from that interview, the guard explains what I think is probably pretty self-evident is that you should not be approaching women at 2 o'clock in the morning like this. He's been doing that up and down Scottsdale Road. I keep telling him that he can get arrested by the cops, but he's like, he doesn't give a sh-. And And he's laughing because he thinks I would laugh at the right. fact that his pants are down. And I really just want you to stop talking to me, too. So I said, you need to get your friend in his apartment and have him pull his pants up. Mm -hmm. Because I'm pretty sure none of the residents here want to see him with his pants down. That is the security guard who is pressing a charge against Austin Matthews for an incident that happened earlier this year on May 26 at Austin Matthews Condo Building in Scottsdale, Arizona. To talk about the incident 
and specifically to look at how Matthews has responded to it. I am joined by Alyssa Freeman, who is a PR strategist and pop culture media expert. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. Let me begin by playing for you what Austin Matthews had to say about the incident. Uh, you know, regret, uh, you know, any of my actions that would ever, you know, put a distraction on the team or, or distress any individual. Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in, you know, preparing myself for the season and, um, you know, representing the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, as well as I can. So, you know, unfortunately due to the, the situation, uh, I'm afraid I can't really make any other comments, but, um, you know, that's, that's all I have. And Quote, unquote, I regret any of my actions. Alyssa, what do you make of that? Well, I regret any of my actions or whatever. Uh, that had to be out of zero. If I had to mark that apology from zero out of ten, I'd give it about a uh, a one just because he was able to string a few sentences together. You know, when you give an apology, it's just not the words, it's the tone and it's the delivery. So, th- you know, Austin Matthews is not going to be the first sports superstar that's going to have to apologize for something, nor he's going to be the last. However, he has had plenty of opportunity to see how it's done. And certainly, Maple Leaf, um, you know, MLSE should have really better prepared him as opposed to just throwing him in front of a mic. He's still a young kid. And young kids, you know, you know they're used to, especially if they're playing at this level of hockey, they give typically the same answers post-game. But when it comes to something like this, it's not just because you're used to seeing cameras in your face. This is a whole different ball of wax. You need to be prepped. You need to practice. And even as good as you think you are, you're not. So this was a bit of a fail as far as an apology was concerned. Yeah, this is not exactly, I'm you know going to play all three periods, got to give it 110%, got to put the puck in the net. This is not that kind of situation. What would you have advised Mr. Matthews to have said? I would have had a more formal setting. Uh, I think, he, he, you know, he's sitting there, you know, with his, uh, he's standing there in front of a, first of all, he's standing in front of Maple Leaf, Toronto Maple Leaf logo. So if you don't want to associate his behavior with the club, that's not a great place to do an interview. I would have had a more controlled setting. I would have taken him out of his sports clothes. I would have put him in either a sport jacket and a shirt or a sport jacket with a shirt and a tie because it shows seriousness. Remember, we're watching the whole picture here. We're just not listening to the words. So his irreverent tone, his laissez-faire way of addressing the um, the sports reporters, and also the lack of seriousness. You know, for him, this is just like a fly that needs to be swatted away. I would have counseled him on a practicing those words as much as they don't like it you know when you do a bit of media training with anybody sports superstar ceo man on the street practice makes perfect and it may sound silly but it really does play well in the long game because now what people are saying from sports columnists to just people on the street is you know what does he really deserve the c on his shirt Beyond that, what would be the long-term impact, if any, on Mr. Matthews? You know, stuff like this doesn't go away. It plays over and over again. So will he be with the Leafs forever? I don't know. I mean, some hockey players have great careers, long careers with one team, but then they may go to another. This will obviously be brought up in allegations. This will be brought up in any personal relationships that he has. This will be brought up in any, um, you know, sponsorship negotiations uh, or endorsements that he has. Something like this does not go away, and brands do not want to associate themselves with this type of behavior. 
Alyssa Freeman is a public relations strategist and pop culture media expert. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. I have some food news. McDonald's will be testing out a new plant-based burger in 28 southwestern Ontario venues. The new food item will be available for a 12-week period only. McDonald's will see how it does. This is the first time McDonald's has offered a Beyond Meat burger and will be following in the footsteps of other big chains like Hortons and A&W, although Tim Hortons has withdrawn it from a bunch of places except for Ontario. The burger will be launched on September 30th. It is named the PLT. It contains a plant-based patty created exclusively for McDonald's to deliver customers the same classic flavors the restaurant is known for, that according to McDonald's. So, stand by for more plant-based food. In Germany, a German motorist is being credited for quick thinking after his engine caught fire on the Autobahn. He turned to a slightly different kind of foam extinguisher, bottles of beer. Police telling a news agency that the man was on a highway in Bavaria. He smelled something odd. He pulled over. He spotted flames under the hood of his car. He quickly grabbed bottles of beer from a case in the car, quenched the fire. Authorities say, in Pennsylvania now, authorities say the fire department there has responded, but there was nothing left for them to do because already 136,000 eggs were lost when they moved in a tractor-trailer driving through Pennsylvania. The Republican Herald reporting that all of these eggs... That was actually 11,340 dozen eggs and 2,260 gallons of egged product. Mmm, egged product. Were ruined when a 66-year-old driver lost control of the rig on Tuesday. The driver had just picked up the eggs from a local farm, going up the hill. As he approached the intersection, the load shifted. The eggs, the eggs products, all fell down, rolled down the hill. The driver did not even realize, continued to drive on. Nobody can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. In Israel, a woman who accidentally mistook wasabi for avocado ate so much that she actually triggered a heart dysfunction. According to a case report that has just been studied in Israel, the 60-year-old woman was at a wedding when she began shoving the wasabi into her face. You know the wasabi, it's the green-colored paste. She thought it was avocado. Uh Uh-uh. She says after eating the substance, she began to feel a pressure building in her chest, spread to her arms. It lasted a few hours. Then it began to subside. She decided not to leave the wedding, went on to dance the chicken dance. When you're thirsty and in need of a drink, which beverage is best at keeping you hydrated? Well, there is new research out there that says, you know, hey, sure, you could have water. But that's not the best thing for you, because quickly hydrating with a beverage with a little bit of sugar, fat, or protein does a much better job. The other thing that affects how well a beverage hydrates relates to the drink's nutrient composition. For example, milk was found to be even more hydrating than plain water because it contains lactose, protein, and fat, all of which help slow the emptying of fluid from your stomach, and that keeps you hydrated for a longer period of time. So just get yourself a big old glass of lactose. (laughs) 
What are the biggest trends in food right now? I'm just going to share this with you. This is our last food-related item. This now comes from realsimplefood.com. Here are the four most popular trends in food right now. Oat milk. Apparently, this is the most popular non-dairy milk alternative. So there, for those of you lactose intolerant, you go to oat milk. CBD, of course, everybody, even Martha Stewart is pitching CBD. That's another big trend. Impossible burgers. This is the sort of the competition to Beyond Meat. Unlike Beyond Meat products, which are sold in grocery stores, Impossible Burgers are only available in restaurants, and they are made of soy protein concentrate, coconut oil, sunflower oil. Mmm. And here's the signature move. It bleeds. Yeah, that plant, that plant-based burger bleeds so well. That's let it bleed.